So just for a 4th of July jaunt, you, your dad, and your sister decided to go climb to 10,888 feet. Washington State Podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. So Darren, welcome. Thanks for making this happen. I We had a little little technical challenges at first, but we solved them like we actually knew what we were doing. So that's great. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about this, this hiking and climbing aspect of your life? How's that? Yeah, right on. Uh, thank you, Scott, for having me on and having the ability to share my stories and adventures. So, you know, I've been raised Tacoma, Tacoma native, born and raised here in Washington State. Uh, grew up uh, hiking, grew up hunting, fishing. Uh, dad took me out a lot and explored the outdoors and the adventures. Uh, early, early mornings, whether or not I didn't like it or not, you know, I, I look back on it now and I, <laughs> I love them. Those early mornings were just awesome. Um, kind of all started back in 2011 now when I, me and my dad and my sister, we decided to go up to Camp Mir for the day. It was July 4th weekend, Saturday, super duper busy. This is one of those days where we didn't get an early start. And so we were just kind of one with the crowd, <laughs> mingling, um, kind of exploring the area and this is you know a lot of hiking hunting and fishing but this is my first time like getting altitude and really you know exploring the uh, high alpine of mount rainier and the high elevations so no doubt it got to me pretty quick and it was a bluebird sunny day so i'm sure that was another issue with the sun beating down um no sunscreen so very very uh amateurish right now where our, what i was doing but, uh, uh, I was really, I was really pumped. I was really excited, but I got stopped. Mount Rainier stopped me at 8,900, maybe 9,000 feet. And I was gassed. I was very, very let tired. Me you, let me interrupt you for a second. Cause yeah. for those of us that aren't hikers, how high up is Camp Muir? Camp Muir is 10,088 feet. So, you know, it just depends on how active you are. Go ahead. So just for a 4th of July jaunt, you, your dad, and your sister decided to go climb to 10,888 feet. Yes. 10,088 feet. And from <laughs> paradise, paradise oh elevation okay. is 5,400 feet. So we're gaining, we're gaining okay. just a little bit under, we're gaining a little bit under 4,700 feet. So yeah, forty six eighty eight. Okay, that's much. still a- and in the day that okay. is that's a good push, and oh. especially with elevation and altitude that you you know people some people don't make it, some people get sick, you know you lose you lose a breath or two, and it's it's intense just to get to ten thousand feet. You know, there's not a lot of areas in Washington State where you can get to ten thousand feet pretty easily in a day. Um, Right. You know, you got Mount Baker. Mount Baker is a great climb. Uh, Mount Adams is a great to do. And then, you know, little Tahoma on Mount Rainier. But there's not a lot of other areas in Washington where you can get above 10,000 or at 10,000 
pretty easily. So it was, yeah, you know, we decided to go for a jaunt and um, it was very, <laughs> I look back on it and it was very humbling. Okay. How old were you um, at that time? Um, that was July 4th. So I was 19, 19 years old. Okay. Um, coming out okay. of, uh, coming out of doing community college back in Tacoma, um, doing summer work too. So not really actually hiking a lot, but still trying to get out as much as possible. Um, and then dad. Okay. So you were in relatively good shape. Yes. Yeah. Relatively good shape. Okay. And then okay. when you kind of mix the elevation gain and add a little bit of altitude, since I've never been to altitude, absolutely. I was, I was gassed and I, you know, I was a thousand feet, more than a thousand feet from Camp Mirror and I was just tired. I fell asleep wherever I stopped at. Um, I was just, that's how oh tired gosh. I was. Didn't get, didn't get no nausea. There was no, uh, oh. sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. So uh, I think, you know, you're almost, you make it sound like you were almost like falling asleep where you were. So you, you know, stand, stop for a second. You fall asleep on your feet, if you will. But just to kind of give you a, a, a little bit of a ribbing and we don't know each other. So don't take any of this personally. I don't mean like that. How'd your sister do? Oh, she, <laughs> Did she was she gassed too, though? No, this is the funny thing. So my dad and my sister were doing great. And here okay. I was just, I was just tired. I was, I was gassed. They were doing fine. They wanted to keep going. I was, I was tired, uh, nausea, sick, not, not like sick, sick, but just didn't want to move major, major nausea. And I laid down and was like, I'm mm-hmm. going to stay here. So yeah, they, they beat me that day. Um, my sister, she's, oh, she was, um, third 22. She was 22 that day. So okay. to be in great shape and then to mix altitude and elevation with a good, you know, I had a good decent sized backpack on me too with my gear. So yeah, it was, it was very interesting and very, very humbling. Okay. But you didn't let that defeat you. You have gone back. Absolutely. Uh, it was very, I was planning, talking to dad and be like, you know, we got to get back up there. You know, dad never, dad, dad and Alicia, they didn't go up. They didn't continue that day. They came down with me. So my sister went back to college okay. and I was doing a little bit more training. I was buying gear, researching gear. You know, some people climb Mount Rainier once a week with the guide services and people go up to Camp Mirror like it's nothing. And I'm, I'm a beginner. So I'm Googling, you know, how to camp, how to hike up to Camp Muir, you know, and we wanted to spend the night if we had the chance to get up there. So it was, um, mm-hmm. did training July, the rest of July, August. And then I think it was second week in September. We decided to pack our gear up, dad and I pack our gear up, get an overnight permit for Camp Muir and climb up. We started a little, we started earlier this time to beat the heat. Uh, there was less snow on the snow field, so there was kind of firm snow, a little bit of some firmer snow. 
Um, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. it kept me going good. Um, everything worked out pretty good. Didn't need no crampons or whatnot, but dad and I made it. We made it in a good solid five and a half hours. Okay. Um, what? So I obviously, I mean, if you look at me, you go, yeah, he's never been to camp here. So for the listeners that haven't been there, which may be most of them, and there might not be, but you know, may, what is Camp Muir? Because you know, um, I can paint this mental picture that it's like a real nice campground and it's big and it's got everything you need, but I think I'm wrong. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. You know, it's a great, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great base camp for the normal main route on Mount Rainier. It is very rocky. Um, you know, even my dad, even my dad was thinking the same thing, you know, Oh, I thought the, I thought there would be platforms up here. I thought there would be, I thought it would be much wider. Um, so one thing I was really thinking of, um, it was, it's not, you know, it's, it's very, it's very rocky. It's very rugged. There's lots of, there's lots of snow and then there's lots of, there's lots of rock. There's lots of dangers too up there. It's a great viewing area for Mount Rainier to look up and see the new route. Okay. But it's not it's not a normal route. I mean, it's not a normal camp. There's no bear pools. It is very cold, especially in the summer. Uh, winter, I mean, if you can get up there, if you can get up to Camp Mir in the winter, then that's a feat by itself because it is barren wasteland it's cold and windy um but the in the springtime and summer the crowds come out and it's a great day hike it's very very beautiful up there though some of the best views ever um but it's a great it's a great spot to even just spend the night and then you're gonna you're even if you go on a day hike you're gonna spend the night or you're you know just on a day hike sorry if you go on a day hike, you're going to look up at the mountain and you'll be like, I'm going to summit that thing one day. So it was okay. pretty much that September when my dad and I spent the night, you know, I kind of looked up, we, you know, we were 4,000 feet from the summit. So I kind of decided in my head, you know, Mount Rainier is not going to beat me. Um, I'm going to keep on going, keep on training and work hard. And it's, it's a milestone too, because every time we see it, in the cities, every time we see it in the lowlands, it's, it just, it sticks out and it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, so yeah, we, me and my dad, he didn't, he decided not to climb with me. So I decided to kind of, uh, grab my friends and learn from my friends, research more and start climbing from there. But some people love to just climb Mount Rainier. Um, and that's totally fine. That's awesome. You know, there's other peaks around and that's what I started doing. So the next year in 2012, I got great mountaineering boots, great mountain gear, climbed Mount St. Helens for the first time in the winter, which Mm -hmm. was, that was not easy either for a gain. Oh, what's the gain? It's 50, about 5,600, 5,600 in the winter. Um. So it's just started off with St. Helens, kept progressing from there. Um, I didn't, there's a big gap. 
Yes. Yes. I did do Adams. Uh, that okay. was the next year in 2013 with a, a buddy of mine. Um, if I didn't have my good friends to climb with me, I was on Cascade Climbers and Northwest Hikers putting my, uh, I don't know, application or climbing resume and, uh, you know, looking for climbing partners to start off. You know, I, right. If, uh, if you, if I want to go climb St. Helens or Mount Adams, you know, I'd put in my application and be like, Hey, I'm looking to go climb this certain mountain, this certain date. Let me know if you're interested and we can link up. Um, one, one great guy came about from some of those applications. Um, a great climbing partner. We've done Helens and Mount hood together twice on Mount hood. Uh, that was a great, he's such a great guy. Uh, we tried the brothers in the Olympics two years ago. Um, and we did Shasta back in 2019. So James, if you're hearing this, you're a great climber and keep up. Shout out to James. So you, 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 practiced and got more proficient on some of these smaller peaks, which are still, I don't mean to dismiss them at all. They're, they're daunting. They're not easy. These are, these are, you have to know what you're doing and you have to have, at least I am of the opinion. You have to know what you're doing and have gear. You're not going to run up there in tennis shoes and shorts. Correct. Yes. How, How long did you train, if you will, before you tried Rainier for the first time? So the first time was in 2014. So a couple, a couple years for sure. Um, Definitely didn't want to disappoint myself. I definitely wanted to make sure I was ready and fit, whether it was climbing St. Helens multiple times, training, uh, weightlifting, cardio. Um, I did... St. Helens a couple times, once or twice during 2012 and 2013. Uh, 2014, that was actually really interesting because James, my climbing partner, that's when we did Hood. And we did Mount Hood before Mount Rainier. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of, we got to the summit of Mount Hood. And from the summit of Mount Hood, you can see into Washington and into Oregon, south of Oregon. But when you when you're at the summit of Mount Hood, looking north, you can see the Columbia Gorge, the Columbia River, and you can see St. Helens, Adams, and then in the middle, but in between those two, are is Mount Rainier. And I looked at Mount Rainier, and I'm like, you know, this is it. You know, if I can if I can do a single car to car push during the night of Mount Hood in June of 2014, then I can I'm going to give Rainier a shot. So three years later, got my buddies together. Um, we, and this was, this was all independent. So no guide service. We're all communicating through each other, through gear, making sure everything is good. Crevasse rescue and training for sure. Um, and, uh, we did, what was it? We started, we climbed to camp mirror in July, mid July. And spent the night at Camp Mirror. And then we pushed for the summit the next day. And that was back in 2014. 
Uh, and it was great. So Honestly, your first time up there. Yep. Yep. Correct. First mm-hmm. time up there, it was. So your first time up there, how many were, how many, how many people were in your group? So it was me and two other good friends. And then one of their friends, she tagged along. She climbed, uh, she's climbed with us before. So I knew her before and trusted her on the okay. rope team and whatnot. Speaking of rope team, you know, it's not many. You, know, you can't climb Mount Rainier unless you do a solo permit. If you're really that interested in, you know, climbing it by, it's by yourself and that's totally fine. But usually most climbers climb with rope mm-hmm. and we're all linked together. Glacier travel. So four of you made it to Camp Muir. And then the next day, you 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 push for the summit. So, how early did you leave in the morning? I mean, did you did you like start super early? I mean, a couple of my friends that are you know climbers have you know part of the reason I'm not a climber is because well, it sounds like you start like at two a.m. It doesn't sound like a good time to me. But uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, when when do you start that push? So, usually. It just depends on the team. It depends on the beta and the research you've done. Um, I've seen, you know, teams leave at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. from Camp Muir. Um, guide services, depending on the guides, uh, the guide services can leave at 11 p.m. or usually midnight. Um, but we want to try, and we were trying to get ahead of the guide services to not get caught in traffic jams. Uh, so we left, I think we left at 10, 10 PM, woke up at nine, left at 10 PM. Uh, it's just the earlier, the better, just so that you have that much time, more time to climb in the night when snow is more firm. So the route is mostly intact. The hazards are more low when it comes to rockfall and icefall. Okay. Uh, so that's the majority. If you're, if you're ever, if you're ever at sunrise at night, let's say you're at sunrise doing astrophotography or, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. spending the night at sunrise and you look up at the mountain and you see these dots on the mountain. Those are the headlamps pretty much every night from May till September, you will see, headlamps on the mountain and those are the climbers starting super duper early going to the summit now being a complete layman here it seems odd to me you're you're saying and i would think that going in the dark would would have a whole nother set of risks to it like not good visibility and not seeing what's necessarily in front of you and yet that's not what everybody does. Everyone goes in the, you know, in the dark because they want to get up there. And you're saying, because the snows, it's a safer climb. So what sort of headlamps? I mean, what are you guys, what are you guys wearing and how, how, how good a visibility do you have when you're, when you're doing this? Cause it seems, that seems scary to me. Yes, absolutely. Um, I've heard from guide services and people that have, guided clients on top of the mountain that, you know, you can see sparks coming off of your crampons. If you don't know what crampons are, crampons are those metal spikes that are attached to your mountaineering boots to give you more traction um, with the snow and the ice. And late at night, you can get 
crampons that'll hit the rock and it'll spark people. It'll, it won't spark people. It'll just set a spark off. And that can, that's just Mm -hmm. one thing at night that is just very, that I've heard people just freak out and they're like, no, I'm done. Whether it's on the rock or just at night, it's just very, very daunting. And you got to kind of, that's where you got to work on your mental game and you got to follow the route. You got to follow your teammates, trust your teammates. Um, Cause you're up there, you're mm-hmm. up there for, um, you're up there for a reason. You, you know, you're going to tag the summit of Mount Rainier. You're going to, you're going to go to the top. You're going to go to the roof of Washington. Um, so at night, you know, we got all of our gear on, we got gloves, we got our headlamps, our headlamps, they're, are super bright. Um, especially at night, you got to bring an extra pair of batteries just in case, because likely you may have to change your headlamp batteries. Uh, anything from a black Mm -hmm. diamond to a pet cell headlamp is really good. There's different modes, low light, high light, red light. Um, but there's, there's a good, there's usually, there's usually, you know, if you know where you're going and you know the route, then there isn't too much of an issue there. Um, for us independent, for me and my team, you know, we, uh, since it was our first time up there, oh yeah, we, there was definitely lots of, uh, lots of mental issues, whether it was, you know, route issues, are we going, how fast are we going? Are we going too fast? Are we going too slow? How's everyone doing? Breathing wise, is everyone cold? How's everyone doing this? Are you too warm? Do we need to stop for breaks? Um, and there's not, you know, on a mountain with glaciers, rockfall, and icefall, there's not a lot of places to stop um, for a good for a good five ten minutes for a break. So we had to, you know, keep going in some spots, and then ultimately we did find good, safe, non-hazard areas to take breaks. So you have a team. None of you had been to the summit before, and you've got this route mapped out how it's not like Siri is going to tell me to take a turn at the next intersection. So how, how do you know that you're staying on, on your course? Are these, are the, is the, is the route marked on the mountain? I mean, help me out here. How did you know you were staying on course? Yeah, absolutely. So this route is, this route we climbed is the main route on Rainier. So it is heavily trafficked. Mm -hmm. uh, There was, there are wands. There are other people in front of you or other people behind you. Um, Just depends on if, since we were going so early too, there were no people in front of us, but there was a good, decent boot pack to know, to allow us where to allow us to know where we were going. So we weren't, we never got lost on the mountain. Um, The main route is called the Disappointment Cleaver route. And um, it's, it is a tough route still just because of the altitude and the hazard. But with the boot pack in front of us, yes, it was fairly good to know where we were at. There are definitely other routes on the mountain that, do not have wands and is completely a wilderness climb where you are definitely, you could take one bad turn and then you have to go back. But this is the main route. 
it's fairly it's fairly bonded it's fairly marked um mount rainier itself the national park has a climbing blog every year usually it's updated during the busy time and uh it's fairly it's fairly it's fairly well known but it's it's still a mountain and you still got to treat it with respect just to make sure that you get down safe your team gets down safe and everyone has a good time though okay so let's go back so you you guys have le- okay so thank you for helping me with that so you guys are climbing you're you're deciding if you're going too too fast too slow you've got to take into account all the uh, potential for rock or snow distraction if you will falling how okay so a about how long did it take you to go from Camp Mir to the summit? So the average, give or take the average time for guide services is about five hours. And we're independent okay. first time. And so we made it to the summit in about seven hours. So definitely okay. longer than a normal average time, but this was our first time up there our first climb on rainier and so we're definitely going to take it a little bit slower mm-hmm. um kind of enjoy it you know taking the views and taking taking our breaks too when we need to if someone if we take a break and then a couple minutes later someone needs to take a break again that's totally fine because we're, we want to be safe and we don't want to rush things and we want to make sure everyone is okay right so it took you about seven hours and how long did you stay at the summit? This is, it's just, it's unbelievable. When you get to the crater rim, so the main route takes you to the south side on the crater rim. So you're, you're at 14, mm-hmm. let's say 14, three, 14,300, 14,350 feet. You get to, the, get to the crater rim and you're mm-hmm. just so ecstatic and so happy. And uh, besides being ecstatic and happy, you are tired you are hungry and you are most likely cold. And so this is kind of like a, kind of a turning point. You know, you, this, this, the true summit is on the other side of the crater. So you have a decision whether or not to walk across the crater and touch the summit. Maybe, maybe a 20 minute walk, maybe, um, or to, or start descending depending on, depending on your time too. If it's, you know, if the sun is up and you know it's been kind of it's been warm for let's say the sun's been up for an hour or two and you might want to start heading down so you can get down safe before the snow gets really really soft but we got up there just mm-hmm. a little bit before sunrise sorry after sunrise and we decided to we, we all felt good we, we were we were tired we were exhausted but we just you know we felt good and that's the main thing. No one had a headache. No one was nausea. No one was sick. So we decided to walk across the crater and touch the summit, touch Columbia Crest for the first time in, uh, it was me and my friend's friend's first time, but the, my main two friends, it was their second time. So okay, okay. they were, they, yeah, they did the Emmons in 2013. So they were kind of guiding me and my friend up. So it was great for them to help me guide mm-hmm. to the summit. 
uh, me and my friend. I was tired. I I remember some of it. And so uh, besides the summit, maybe just, oh, maybe just a few feet lower is, they call it register rock. And that is where your summit register is. It's kind of protected from the wind and the cold. Um, so we signed the summit register there. And I remember putting the book back in the summit register box and falling asleep right on the summit register. I do remember that. <laughs> really? Okay. That's how tired I was. Um, so how is the view up there? It's, it's I, in, I don't know, in all my adventures and climbs and explorations, it's sometimes it's tough to get words in and it's trying to, it's hard to find those words of how beautiful something can be from a different angle because, you know, we, we don't mm-hmm. see that every day. We, you know, we can look down if you're looking from the summit, if it's a clear bluebird day, you know, you can see down into the Puget Sound. You can see, you can see Commencement Bay. You can see the islands. You can see Vashon Island. You can see Bainbridge and you can see 300, beautiful 360 degrees. Um, you can see Mount Stewart. You can see Baker and Glacier Peak. You can see a great view of Adams and St. Helens and Mount Hood. And if it's a super clear day, you can see Jefferson into Oregon. And uh, it's mm-hmm. just, that's one reason why I do these climbs and to push myself is to see these views because we don't see these views every day and to see them and document them is just amazing. It's, it's unbelievable what mother nature has out for us. You know, if it's, if it's a mountain far off in the distance or the sun coming up on the roof of Washington, it's just beautiful. Um, total, totally amazing. Just incredible. So that first time when you fell asleep and you weren't up there very long, I know that it's not like you took a four hour nap. Um, but how long were you guys up there at the, at the, in the, in the crater area? Uh, long, probably, you know? probably an hour, a quick, quick 20 minute or a walk. It's okay. really, so that's a, that's a pretty good amount of time. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's funny cause we all, we climb for seven hours and we're on the summit for about around an hour. Um, even in the summer when it's 80 degrees down in the lowlands, the summit of Rainier is cold. It is usually around mm-hmm. freezing. If not, maybe slightly above, you can have great, great weather up there with no wind, but this one I know was a little cold and it was, it was probably freezing, if not a slightly below freezing. You had to have, you had to have gloves on. I remember that though. Okay. So you're, you're, you're we'll call it the summit, you know, layman's terms, the, the, you know, you're up there for basically an hour, um, taking in the views, catching your breath, and then you have to go back down. That sounds like it's the easy part. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. I know I'm oversimplifying this whole process. Um, but when you go down, do you do you go all the way down to past Camp Muir, or do you do you stay at Camp Muir a second night? Um, 
So let's. So going down is probably. Probably, I would say it is a little bit harder. Um, because usually okay. the day before or the night before, it just it depends on how you do it. Some people climb up to Camp Mirror and then summit the next day. Um, some people climb up to Camp Mirror, spend a night, go up to Ingraham Flats, spend another night, and then go to the summit. Uh, that was my okay. recent climb back in July, just just this last okay. month. That's what I did. The first time we went up to Mirror and then went to the summit the next day. Uh, the amount of sleep you get on the mountain is probably next to zero. Especially if you are getting up at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. You're probably just, you know, taking a small nap here and there or getting little to no sleep. And um, you're at altitude maybe. Maybe you're at altitude for the first time or, you know, maybe you're really anxious to hit the summit and get up and go and you're not going to sleep. You're going to lay in bed you know, either really warm in your sleeping bag or just really, really anxious, your heart's beating because of the altitude. So you have no, you probably are, are you're probably not next to no sleep and that's going up and then you're going down. So going down depends average, maybe three, four, I'd say four, four hours going down maybe. Uh, just depends on the route too. If you need to, let's say you need to, um, end run a crevasse and running a crevasse is just finding the smallest part of it and then stepping over it or walking all the way around it. Uh, if there's a traffic jam, maybe going down, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a ladder on the route and people are waiting to get down. Um, that usually occurs on Mount Rainier and, in the mid season or late season. Nowadays, it seems to happen almost in the early season too. So there's a, probably a ladder on the route and you might have to uh, wait in the traffic jam. Um, you might. So what do you mean a ladder? I mean, do you mean a, like a ladder? Like, a, yeah. What do you mean by a ladder? So what, not the national park service, but the guide services that are the commercial guide services on Rainier. Usually there's three main ones and they will eventually in the early season, April and May, they will work together in pioneering a establishing a route on Rainier. Either they will be, they could be the first ones to be climbing Rainier um, to guide, to help their clients and whatnot. So us independent climbers, you know, we're kind of just following in their footsteps and thanking the guide services for, help establishing the route right through my climbing history and whatnot they do great work out on rainier they do great work off rainier so yes you know definitely give a little thanks to the guide services because it would be a little bit tougher if they were not establishing the route um so mm, it just depends on the guides and what they think of they may place a ladder they may place they may place a horizontal ladder and then maybe uh, later in the season, they may place a vertical ladder when the crevasses open up a little bit more and there's less uh, zigzagging 
that the route can that the, that the route can have. So they may place a vertical ladder. Uh, we did not have a vertical ladder. I do remember what we did have a horizontal ladder at about 11,200, 11,300. They call this area high crack. Mm-hmm. And this is where usually, uh, usually a, a normal uh, area of the glacier, it would fold down just like, just imagine a, a brownie or a piece of cake falling off, you know, going vertically down. But this one kind of okay. splits uphill. So the guide, the guides place a, uh, normally place a ladder and it, it just depends on year to year as well. I know this year is there is no ladder at high crack as far as I know. So, um, there was a horizontal ladder and usually they're not much of a traffic dif- tra- traffic jam or not much of a difficulty, but then it also depends on your skill level and how comfortable you are on a horizontal or vertical ladder crossing over a crevasse and, mm-hmm. uh, how's, you know, how's your mentality, you know, and going down to, it's absolutely a little bit difficult, much more, much more, uh, cumbersome, um, one thing to do is always when you come across a ladder, you know, you want to double check it. If the picket is in place, uh, if the handhold is good, you know, just double check everything because the, the majority of the accidents do happen on the way down. You're very, very tired, hungry, thirsty. You know, you could easily trip on the rope. You could slip and fall. And then you know, we may have an issue on our hands. So, you know, safety first we all want to have mm-hmm. fun but let's let's keep our rope taut you know let's keep our ice axe in our right hand in the correct hand and let's get down safe so it probably was about since this was our first time getting down we were very tired and very exhausted so i would say a good four or five hour descent back to camp Mirror from the summit so that's a 12 hour round trip yes correct. I mean, you put 12 hours in yep Absolutely. Um, okay. You could probably say minimum at the average 11 or 12 for guided or independent too. Oh, okay. So you got to Camp Muir. Did you guys stay there a second night or did you go all the way down that the, the uh, first trip? No, we decided to go down and uh, go back to civilization, okay. grab a hamburger, celebrate. How long did it take you to get from Muir to all the way down? Uh, yeah, celebration. So if no one has ever tried glissading, I would highly recommend it. Glissading is literally just sliding on snow on your, on your behind. It is very, uh, uh-huh. if you can't, uh, let's say you, most people just walk down, but there's these glissade shoots in, you know, popular areas. You know, if you start sliding down, <laughs> these glissade shoots, they will become almost like bobsledding shoots where you can just slide on your behind and <laughs> just cruise down. And I tell you, that is one of the most funnest things you've ever done. If you want, that sounds awesome. Actually. If you want a quick way to get down. If you don't know how to, if you don't know how to ski or snowboard, and if you want a quick way down, just find a shoot and start sliding on your snow, start sliding on the snow and enjoy it. So how long are these, how long are these shoots? Uh, it just de- depends on the, uh, angle of the hill too. uh, the angle, you know, if it's 
35, uh-huh. 40 degrees or 20, 25, the steeper, the better, because you get down quicker, but some sure. of the steeper ones kind of mellow out at the end. So some of the shallow ones, maybe uh, 15, 20 degrees. And, and that can be, that can go for quite a, quite a distance. Um, a couple hundred feet, definitely. Um, Mount Adams, if anyone's climbed uh, Mount okay. Adams, has a great, great uh, glissade chute on the south side. You can descend 2,000 feet in about okay. five, 10 minutes. Yeah, Whoa. exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Obviously, you know, with your ice axe, right, so- you're breaking, but yeah, that's a quick way down. So we, we got you safely down your first trip. You celebrated. So a couple of questions come to mind. You were in shape, but how'd you feel the next day? Oh, I was, I was dead. Just exhausted. <laughs> very, very, okay. uh, very sore. Very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, just took relaxing, rested, didn't want to, didn't want to climb it again. Right. The next day, obviously. Oh, that was my next question. Okay. So you didn't want to climb it. You were done at that point. You're like, okay, I got this. Got, I've got the t-shirt if you will. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, you know, I had my goal, but we know that that's go mm-hmm. ahead. Go ahead. You're fine. But we know that that's not, you didn't stop. So we know you've kept going. So the question I have is, so you're tired, you're sore as, as you well-deserved. You were satisfied. It wasn't like you didn't want to climb. I'm not going to say you're like, I'm never going to do that again, but you're like content. You were enjoying the, the moment, if you will. When did the bug bite to go do it a second time? <laughs> um, gosh, that's, I want, I would want to say, honestly, I would probably say a week later. Okay. All right. Um, so it really wasn't that long being, being a young boy, you know, I was sore and exhausted, but healed up pretty quickly, you know, got back out there and I kind of, I kind of, I kind of questioned myself and I'm like, okay, now, so what's next? I mean, for Rainier, if you want to, if you want a enduring challenge, if you want a physical mental challenge and see some of the best views and see some of the amazing landscapes that mother nature has to offer go mountain climbing Mm -hmm. you can have some of the hardest challenges in your life and be rewarded with the most beautiful landscape ever and that's where my that's where my passion comes from it's you know once just wasn't enough you know even if it was even if I climbed it with the same route, it was, it was a different route. It was a different angle. If it was a different, if different climb, it was with different people. Um, so it didn't stop there. Rainier was just, honestly, Rainier okay. was the tipping point. <laughs> okay. So how many times have you summited Rainier? So I just finished up my third summit this past July from all three okay. summits were from the same route, but 
they were all different because the mountain changes every single year. Um, the first route mm-hmm. when I did it traversed up. So it kind of circled the mountain. It went from, so we're on the east side of the mountain climbing up and we kind of dipped down southwest. And then we pretty much started going west across the mountain because the crevasses were so bad and the dangers were a little bit elevated. So that's kind of the normal route. The normal route does zigzag a little bit. So that was Mm -hmm. 2014. 2017, I went up with with, kind of like a volunteer group. So the, uh, the crater scientists were doing observations and were doing research in the crater. Um, due to Mount Rainier's activity, the steam has kind of carved out these types of ice. What do you call them? Mm, I'm trying to find the word. There's, there's a map. The, cra- the research scientists have mapped out um, these walls and these kind of like caverns underneath Mount Rainier's ice uh, in the crater. And so the Mount Rainier scientists, they go up. They didn't. This was 2017. I don't think they've been up since. But they needed, they, you know, they bring all their science gear and their research equipment. So this was the year, you know, they were asking for volunteers and be like, hey, we need help. Can we, we need volunteers to help bring our gear down. So that's what we were part Mm, of a team. It was me, uh, one other climber I've climbed with, and then two other people that I've met with and climbed with a little bit before. And they're great. And that was 2017, but that was on the same route, but that actually connected with the Emmons route on the Northeastern side. If people are familiar with the routes, they're not supposed to connect like that. That was a very long, long climb that added an extra mile, uh, onto our climb on the mountain and, uh, extra time too. So if I, if you thought I was tired in 2014, this one in 2017 was probably double that because we had to lose more elevation. We had to gain more elevation and we, we, uh, we didn't go on the south side and jumped into the crater. We traversed the east side and then the northeast side and then met up with the true summit that way. So that was very interesting. And then we had to descend with not a lot of, not a lot of mm-hmm. research gear. Uh, the research and their scientists, uh, they divided out with many teams were volunteering. So we had no issue. You know, it was either mm-hmm. uh, big batteries or just heavy, heavy gear. So it wasn't too, it wasn't too bad. Okay. And then we went down the same route, uh, had to regain our elevation and uh, come back to camp and whatnot. Uh, 2017 was where we camped at Camp Mayor one night and then went to the flats the second night. And the flats is, they call it high camp at 11,100 feet. That's, uh, you're camping on the Ingraham Glacier. There is no, uh, there's no rocks that you can camp on. There's no rock surface. It's all glacier. Um, the same with Camp Mirror too. Camp Mirror, you're 
there's a there's a public shelter there that is first come first serve, but most people uh, tend to camp at Camp Mirror on the snow. Let's 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 shift gears just because I've got curiosity about some things here. Absolutely. How much gear are you taking? How how much weight is your pack on a trip like this? So it does. It tends to be an average of 40, 45 pounds for an independent uh, group. Okay. Um, my first summit in 2014 was about 50 pounds because I didn't have maybe the best gear. Maybe I took a lot of extra clothing just in case. Um, and there's always that just in case scenario. So, I, you know, bring it just in case you never know if you get cold or too warm and whatnot. So I wasn't, I was not, I was not against, you know, a 50 pound pack because you got, you sometimes you have to bring it. Um, the 2017 was a little bit lighter because, uh, I was climbing more, hiking more, uh, less weight, less, uh, different type of clothing. So less weight there with me and my teammates, you know, we divvied up all of our gear. So it was probably 40, 45 pounds. Um, and then in 2009, 2000, just this past month, sorry, uh, it was probably about 42, 43 pounds. And that was me and two other climbers. Okay. And so your gear through the years, you've probably found, you know, lighter weight things. Um, maybe your ice axe is a little lighter than the, the first generation when you had things like that. You can save weight by using higher tech tools, maybe like versus, you know, I'm thinking your axe could be something that could be made lighter and every bit is reliable. Um, using something like, you know, carbon fiber or something like that. It was, it, will that work up there? I mean, does that work or. Yeah, that can be, that can be. Uh, How much tech is involved? Yeah, that can be, uh, that can be a factor. Definitely. Um, a lot of it is either clothing, lightweight, lightweight stoves, uh, lightweight gear. Um, a lot of it is food, uh, a lot of food. Um nowadays you know we're using free dry freeze-dried food uh water water's definitely an uh a big fat weight factor too um from even Mm -hmm. from your sleeping bag to your your 30 degree sleeping bag may be you know three or four pounds when it's packed in but when you know when you when you're doing all this hiking climbing adventuring you know you kind of want a lighter lightweight uh, sleeping bag. So my, the, the one that I use is from mm-hmm. Western mountaineering. It's a five degree antelope sleeping bag, great sleeping bag to use. And that's just packed. Packed weight is a little bit over two pounds. So, jeez, oh, yeah, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of difference there and what, wow. and before you think about it, when, yeah, when you're, when you just get into this, you're thinking about, you know, okay, pounds, you know, what can I get rid of here? What can I get rid of there? When you're think, when you're, when you're, when you've been doing this for 
10 plus years, either mountaineering, climbing or hiking, you know, you're starting to think of ounces. You're starting to think of, okay, what can I get rid of? What do I not need? What, what, you know, can I diminish my food? Can I not bring my water? Cause you can boil water up there. Um, you know, can mm-hmm. I lose this piece of clothing? Maybe I don't need that extra base layer. Maybe I don't need those extra socks. Um, you know, there's always that just in case scenario, but then if you're comfortable, you know, you can, with losing a little bit more weight and being a little bit more, uh, I don't want, I don't want to say happy, but you know, you're still going to be tired with 35, 40 pounds on your pack, but just losing a little bit of weight can help. And then just, you know, bring unnecessary, bringing unnecessary items too. that can definitely cut out, uh, the weight factor. Definitely. You're not bringing a Sudoku book or anything like that with you. No, I mean, some people, some people love to bring that and I have nothing against that. You know, I just, I just, I love to just (laughs) stare out into mother nature and then just enjoy whether it's a a rock fall happening far away or watching the clouds come in. Um, even seeing the people come into camp and talking to them and, you know, sharing their adventures and stories. I've met amazing people, with great stories and seeing where they come from and be like, Oh, you know, where, how does, how do you get drawn to Mount Rainier? It's just, they share their stories and it's, it's very humbling how we're attracted to mother nature and the mountain. You know, it's interesting. You said you're drawn to Mount Rainier because recently guests on the show, and it's funny, things come in, in on what I'm, what I'm learning about when we record these episodes is, things kind of come in in waves for a while. Right. And right now I've got a few people talking about Mount Rainier and you just said drawn to Mount Rainier and somebody else just had said drawn to Mount Rainier. So it, it's interesting because I grew up in the kind of the Puyallup area. So the the mountain was there whenever it was quote unquote out, you know, obviously clouds kept it from being you know, seen every day, but you know, I just took it for granted. It's there. And I never really felt any, noticeable pull to it. Like it was just in the backyard. It was just always there. I had, I, I did, I had a house for a while uh, early in my adult life with had this giant picture for a uh, picture window in the back of the house. And it looked out unobstructed at Rainier and it was like a painting. It was really cool. And I just took it for granted when I think about it. I mean, I think about it now going, that was really cool. And I just didn't appreciate it. So i like the fact that you say people are drawn to it because it is an absolutely magnificent and stunning. It's just, it is. It's just, it's magnificent and stunning. And, and I think we shouldn't take it for granted and you should appreciate it. So I think those of you that are getting out and hiking it or climbing it to the summit and are, are, are and coming back to report on it to us that are vicariously living through your hikes and your climbs. Um, you know, that's pretty cool. And, uh, so when you're up there, do you take a camera with you? Do you take any, you know, do you do any photography while you're up there? Oh, it's, it's incredible how many people live vicariously through me and whatnot. Uh, yes, I do. I do have my camera. <laughs> um, I got my iPhone 12, but I also have a Sony a 6,000. Um, I bring it, I almost bring it everywhere huh? with me, whether it's, uh, I bring it to me to work. And then sometimes after work, I'll go, shoot photography either at the waterfront or somewhere 
but uh it's it's mm-hmm. it's yeah i'll you know i take these pictures and then i upload them onto my computer i upload them to my phone and then i share them with my friends and family and i'm sharing these stories and whatnot and it's it's very it's very humbling to just bring back that memory but then it's also very interesting because you know pictures pictures do not do justice just to be there in person and to see it to see a glacier cracking or to see the rock fall you know to be at the summit you know freezing cold but just the smile and the overcoming of joy you know it's it's very interesting it's 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 unbelievable because this process my first process of climbing rainier took me three plus years and you know you're on the summit mm-hmm. for maybe an hour and so just that small small time of achievement but you have that with you forever and you shouldn't take that for granted because you know some people are not drawn to it and that's totally fine you know some people are drawn to other activities and that's great i mean that's amazing that other people you know have Mm -hmm. other activities to explore and share and so for those people that are climbing to the summit and sharing that memory with not only me but others i mean that's just that's just beautiful and to see it through a picture and to be able to take it take the photo and then share it with friends and family you know it's it's pretty amazing no uh it's it's definitely you know i've been up there three times i would hope to get up there next year it's very you know we have all we have our work and we have our lives but something about mother nature whether it's a hike or a climb you know to do one of the hardest things in your life and to achieve it and to explore and to share it with people is just amazing and that's what i that's what i love to do i i love this passion of climbing and and exploring the outdoors and then sharing it with everyone it's it's really great i always try to keep it washington state based but i'll give you a pass you don't have to answer in washington (laughs) state where where's a mountain you want to try is there is is there another mountain that's kind of calling you Hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, w- I would be lying out of my pants. My pants would be on fire right now if I wasn't lying. <laughs> so what is it? What, 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 if, if, if I could snap my fingers for you and say, okay, you can go and go here. Where would you want to go? I only have one option. Yeah, you only have one. Oh goodness gracious. So this is. Oh, it's a mountain for sure. I would say, so Everest Base Camp is a trek, so I can't, that one's excluded. So I would say Kilimanjaro. Okay. Um, okay. If you YouTube, if you have a chance, see if you can find Snows of Kilimanjaro on YouTube. It's an old, old documentary, um, but to climb up to 19,000 feet on the roof of Africa and with the safari below and a couple of my friends, a couple of my friends have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's only one. Yeah. Back, back in the day, someone I knew. So back in the day, someone I knew 
climb Kilimanjaro in September of 2011 and was stuck in Africa for a while because of, of 9-11. So they had to stay over um, for a while before because flights weren't, you know, they were not allowing international flights back into the States. So that was a really very surreal period of time where they were able to do Kilimanjaro, but they weren't able to come home. And another friend of mine a few years ago did did Kilimanjaro and had a blast. They, they enjoyed it a lot. Um, but I'll give you another one because, you know, what else? Do you want to do like Denali? Denali, that's that's a funny one. Um, so it was my senior year of college up at Western in Bellingham. Um, I met uh, – Mm-hmm. Mount St. Helens has been great. Sorry, backstory. Mount St. Helens has been great because I've met great volunteers uh, through their uh, climbing institute and whatnot. And so one of the volunteers I met was wanting to go climb Tenali. And he was like, hey, Darren, what are you doing next year? Or do you want to go climb Tenali? And I graduated in the winter and we're leaving in the spring. So I kind of looked at him and I was like, yeah, sure. You know, let's go climb Denali. Um, Denali is Mount McKinley in Alaska. It's America's North America's highest peak, uh, 20,310 feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, they consider it to be one of the coldest places on earth. And it is in some areas besides the altitude, it is harder than Everest because you are doing everything yourself. You have maybe 40, 40, 40, 45 pounds of gear in your backpack and roughly maybe 70, 80 pounds on your sled. So each individual has the backpack and the sled. So do the math there. That's a lot of weight. That's a lot of food. That's a lot of gear. Uh, the average time on Denali is about 21 yeah. days on the mountain. Um, so I climbed Denali. 21 days? Yep. Yep. 21 days of food. Um, much people people climb it uh, much faster than that but that is just kind of the average whether you're acclimatizing uh, acclimatizing uh going up for uh hikes Mm -hmm. and whatnot uh, resting definitely rest days for sure um so i climbed denali in 2018 with me and my buddy uh it was me and three other people uh a new zealander andy he came on from another team and he was great it's a mistake that i did not climb denali i went to seventeen thousand two hundred feet at high camp and we were all great it was a bluebird day but one of my buddies was not feeling good he was very very sick so i elected to stay behind and make sure he was good kept an eye on him and my three other buddies went to the summit mm-hmm. on a bluebird zero degree day I don't regret that that day at all because there can be other days for me to come back and try for the summit of Denali again. Sure. Um, it was, it was a great, okay. it was a great journey. We spent 18 days on the mountain. Um, so yeah, that's another mountain I would, wouldn't mind coming back and exploring someday for sure. Okay. So then to wrap it back to Washington, is there somewhere in Washington that you want to climb that you haven't climbed yet? Mm, uh, new climbing peaks and new objectives come up every year um okay it's got to be something in the north cascades um 
or Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus is a good, and you know, the Olympic Peninsula is a great one. But I think something in the North Cascades, either Mount Redoubt or Spickard, uh, just that remoteness too, being out there mm-hmm. a long, long ways from civilization and the North Cascades. You know, you can park your car and take a boat or you can hike the trail and you can just be out there in the remote wilderness. And uh, there's a lot of great, great peaks, remote peaks in North Cascades that I would like to some someday get a chance and climb. So one of the questions I always ask people, and we'll wrap this up so we can get, get on with your day and all that. I'm a coffee fan. Do you drink coffee? I do drink coffee, but not on the mountain usually. Okay. All right. Where in, so in your world where you work and live and play, you know, typical every day, where's a, where's a place I should go try a cup of coffee in your world? Where's a good coffee shop that you, you think is a pretty cool place? Oh, I got the one for you. So it's just okay. on Cole Street. That's what we do these show for. Is I always find coffee shops. Absolutely, it's called. So it's called the local coffee house on Cole Street, right downtown. Okay. It's okay. A uh, it opens up usually opens up at eight a.m. They have they have coffee. They have great coffee. They have uh, little pastries. They have donuts. They also have in a map in there. Um, little pins, you know, if mm-hmm. you've, you know, if you're visiting there for the first time, you can drop a pin on the world and, you know, see where you've come, where you're coming from, where you're, where you're traveling from. Right. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like that. That's a good one. I like that. Okay. And then the last opportunity here is, so you mentioned you, you know, you take photographs and you share them with, with friends and family. Do you, do you put them online for people to see? Is there, do you have a, is there a place people can go and check out some of your, uh, mementos from the trips? Yes. Um, so I usually, uh, I usually post them on Instagram. You can look up, uh, and what's, what's your handle? Share your handle so people can find (laughs) it. My, my Instagram handle is D C H R O M E Y. Two five three, two five three. Obviously, area code for Tacoma. Okay. Um, you can find my <laughs> website there, and it'll take you. Uh, it'll take you okay. to photos and prints, and not just Washington. It'll take you to uh, Alaska and Montana and other past adventures that have been great. Uh, but that's where I'm usually super super busy connecting with people, sharing pictures, uh, making plans. Met met great people through Instagram and uh, yeah, it's been great. Okay. Do you have any more climbs planned for the rest of this year? I mean, we're getting towards the tail end maybe of the season, but any plans? Yeah. uh, The climbing first, it just, it doesn't stop. Um, I hope to go down to Oregon in a couple of weeks, (laughs) Um, go climb broken top with one of my friends and possibly do a sister's traverse going from South, middle and north okay that could be done in august or september and then 
One okay. other one other planned is Luna Peak in the North Cascades. A very uh, it, it sparked my fantasy last year. Just looking it up online, very remote in the Cascades, and it's got great views. And uh, so yeah, Luna Peak and a couple couple trips in Oregon, a couple climbs, a couple climbs going. The adventures keep going, but the climbing, the climbing's always there too. There you go. Well, I appreciate you hopping on and, and sharing the story with us because it's it's pretty darn cool. And uh, I have a feeling you'll you'll be up on Rainier at least once next year, if not more than once. Sounds like that's kind of the place that you like to keep going to. And um, but I also I also think doing the North Cascade stuff sounds kind of cool because you're just naming peaks that I've not heard of before. And not that I'm no, by no means, I mean, I barely know where Rainier is, let's be honest. But I love <laughs> the fact that you're naming, you know, these peaks that I haven't heard of before. And I'm going to go look them up and check them out. But the fact that you're going to go in and, and hike your way in and, and just do something that's more off the beaten path, if you will, is that just sounds very, very exciting. And uh, I'm looking forward to checking out those photographs and vicariously uh, getting to some altitude with you. Yes. Yes. Um, definitely looking forward to future adventures, future climbs. Um, it's a, I mean, I'm excited, um, and looking forward to sharing some memories too. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you, Scott. Thank you audience for listening. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have you back on. We want to hear some of these North cascade stories. How's that sound? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll keep you in touch for sure. And if I do a, a climb or some type of adventure, I will definitely let you know, Scott. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Yes. Thank you. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.